Hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. On this show, we're going to the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, or day by day, until the end of time. That is right, Colin, and I know that I'm not often one to say no bits, but... No bits. We got a lot of plot, so I'm sorry, Steven Universe, no bits. What's <laughs> the timestamps then? We're starting... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Season 7, Episode 6, from the beginning and stopping at 40 minutes and 35 seconds. Here's what happens. Snuggle up with something comfortable. It'll be a little bit. I did cut this down because whoever wrote this had a time of it, basically, had a time every single thing that happened. Yeah. All right. Luke, once again, is meeting with Sybil, telling her that he has begun to doubt her plan. She assures him that they are still on the right path and that they must continue to adapt. She then goes on to say that thanks to her plan, S.H.I.E.L.D. revealed their ship in order to destroy Insight. As a result, they now have their location. Thus, she disagrees on the idea that her path has simply led them to nothing but disaster. Moreover, she points out how one of Malik's sons, Nathaniel, captured Daisy Johnson, and as a result, they are divided, which then has Luke begin to wake up a small army of Chronicom hunters after Sybil tells him to begin the next phase of their plan. In the lighthouse, the 1970s S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, led by Rick Stoner, have Phil Coulson and Melinda May in S.H.I.E.L.D. custody. Coulson and May learn that thanks to a tracking system given to them by Wilford Malick, these S.H.I.E.L.D. agents from the 1970s are actually able to track the Zephyr and potentially blow them out of the sky. On board the Zephyr, Yo-Yo Rodriguez and Deke Shaw rejoin the team, and a frustrated Alfonso McKenzie learns that Shaw killed Malick. The director explains that he is going to the, into the lighthouse to save his parents, and Rodriguez says she is coming along. As they get ready for their mission, Mackenzie tells Gemma Simmons to scan for Johnson and Daniel Sousa, as well as the Chronicom timeship. In the Quinjet, Rodriguez and Mackenzie discuss the details of their mission. Mackenzie recalls that on this day, he and his family should be enjoying a barbecue in celebration of the bicentennial. He jokes that this was not how he planned to have Rodriguez meet his parents. Back in the lighthouse, lockdown protocol has been initiated, much to the dismay of Stoner, who never gave the order. Coulson tries to explain to him that the Chronicoms have taken over and are attempting to divide and conquer the base. The hijacked, the hijacked system fires three missiles at the Zephyr without Stoner's order. Simmons, Shaw, and Enoch prepare for impact on the Zephyr. They stop the first two missiles but with flares, but the third one manages to make contact. Inside a barn, Johnson begins to wake up and is greeted by Sousa. Johnson tries to quake herself out of her handcuffs, but cannot use her powers. Johnson calls Nathaniel Malik a little psycho just as the aforementioned Malik enters. He introduces he introduces himself to them. He introduces himself to them and reminds them how the two of them took him hostage at the crazy canoe and forever changed his life. Johnson asks if he can unchain them and they can hug it out so that Hydra and Shield can be together at last. I could have sworn I deleted that. <laughs> it's a he good scoffs at that. <laughs> it is. He scoffs at that and explains to his captives that he is not Hydra and that religion was never really his thing, mentioning the fanatic worship of Hive. But we haven't met yet, but we will in the past and the future. Time is weird. However, he is still planning to use the research of Daniel Whitehall, a.k.a. Warner Reinhardt, to transfer her, her power into him. He also believes Sousa is an inhuman based on the fact that he has not aged since the 1950s. He tells his goons to get Johnson so he can begin his experiments. In an interrogation room in the lighthouse, Stoner begins to question Coulson and May. Stoner seemingly begins to believe them and asks exactly what he should be looking for before another agent, King, interrupts them. She talks down to Coulson and May and places her hands on both of their shoulders. Stoner and King made th make their way out, but not before he asks them about Wilford Malik. Coulson explains that he's Hydra, and Stoner tells him that he's dead. 
After they leave, May explains that there is something wrong with the female agent, King, because she did not feel any emotion from her, thus making her a chronicom. Okay, sorry, real quick. If, if I may, I know we, we try not to ever do jump-ins, but yeah. I want to, just since we talked about that line, I want to just real quick just add in that this is one of the things that I did note was the dialogue there of she goes, something's wrong yeah. with that agent. And Coulson goes, yeah, you'd think for a guy with a last name like Stoner, he'd be a lot more fun. She's like, no, the other one. Like, that yeah. is so goddamn funny. And it is like, it is, it is also, it is. I feel like he knew what she meant. But it was just him yeah. being like a dad for a moment there. And it's yeah. really funny. And I just had to say. It's a malfunction in the system. Oh, exactly. I just had to point it out, though, because like the dialogue yeah. in this season is just killer. All right. Sorry. It really is. Continue. For sure. Mm-hmm. On the Zephyr, Simmons and Enoch try to. Sorry. Simmons, Enoch, and Shaw try to deal with the damage done from the missile. <laughs> Simmons and Enoch and Shaw. <laughs> sure. Ugh, and they learned that the ship's connection. <laughs> they learned that the ship's connection to the jump drive <laughs> has been damaged. If they do not fix it before the next jump, the Zephyr would be destroyed. Simmons gives Shaw a job while she works with Enoch. Once alone, she asks Enoch why she cannot remember how to fix the ship. He assures her that she is all right as long as they act now. In a cell in the lighthouse, Mackenzie's parents are rescued by Rodriguez and Mackenzie, who cut their way through a wall into the cell to rescue them. And after a brief and awkward moment where Mackenzie hugs his mother, who at this point, who at this point is, a, is really a complete stranger, they make their way out of the cell. Meanwhile, the Chronicom disguised as an agent leads Stoner downstairs. As they pass a projection of Stoner, he orders her to turn it off, and she replies that they will remove his face ASAP. I did not pick up on that, and that's why I left it in, because I did not even catch it's that double It's very funny. Down. Yeah, it's yes. so good. Yeah. May and Coulson discuss the agent, and Coulson refuses to accept that she is a Chronicom because she showed emotion. The two argue over their personal relationship and issues that they've been building throughout this final mission. May explains that Coulson never dies. He always comes back. She tells him that she is not planning to warn him again. In their argument, Coulson realizes the Chronicoms are watching him and adapting. They were having the argument with someone and they come to an epiphany and you're like, I'm not done having this argument yet. Right. <laughs> they are now not only taking people's faces, but also their personalities. Another agent then gets his face stolen and a moment later, Stoner is led to that now replaced agent. Mackenzie leads Rodriguez and his parents to a closed door. His parents begin to panic about not being able to get out of the base, but Mackenzie assures them that their jet is on the other side of the door. Mackenzie goes to work on the door by opening a panel and working on the locks. He asks his father for help. Elsewhere, the Chronicoms, now with Stoner attached to a machine, begin to steal his personality. Coulson and May, however, manage to interrupt them before the process is complete. After a short tussle, they rescue Stoner, who tells them that they need to save the remaining agents in the base. Coulson makes his way to a ladder that seems to head lowered into the base, he explains that he is going to head down to see where the Chronicoms are coming from. Sousa is now looking through cracks in the wall to see what Malik is doing to Johnson. The goons bring her back into the room, and Malik's, Malik explains that he took blood and spinal fluid from her and plans to transfuse it into himself. Johnson, who is in really bad shape, begins to pass out in Sousa's lap as she mentions how this all happened before with Ying, her mother. Worried for her, Sousa begins to tell her about the day he lost his leg. He was rescued by a guy named Mike Stevens, who kept him conscious by talking to him nonstop. The synopsis of this part of the episode was almost word for word the entire monologue, and I cut it, and I'm really happy about that. <laughs> he tells the story to do the same thing, keep her conscious by talking to her nonstop. Before Johnson finally passes out, though, she lifts her hand to reveal that she managed to snag a piece of broken glass in her hand. It's horrifying, but kind of cool in terms of logic or logistics and strategy. 
Back on the Zephyr, Enoch is operating on an unconscious Simmons. Shaw enters and sees what is happening. Unsettled, he sneaks up on Enoch and zaps him with a defibrillator, knocking him out. He wakes up Simmons and tries to tell her Enoch is a traitor, but her only response is asking her future grandson what he has done. Colson, meanwhile, makes his way down a ladder. He eventually comes to some sort of console and reaches in, transporting himself, at least virtually, into a realm where he meets Sybil. As Rodriguez and... As Rodriguez, Mackenzie, and his parents continue to work on the door, they hear a noise coming from behind them. Mackenzie goes to confront two approaching chronicoms, one of which is Abel. He has gotten, like, sort of way, kicked way back to not importantville. Um, all while Coulson is speaking with Sybil. He asks her multiple questions about their plan, which she surprisingly is very willing to answer. Back on the Zephyr, Shaw tries to justify his actions. Simmons explains that Enoch is a friend, and when she realizes Shaw is not going to give up, she finally gives some real answers. She explains that she and Fitz found a place where they could observe the Chronicom's moves so they could track them through time. Fitz remained there to guide them and is completely exposed so it is not safe for anyone to know their location. Simmons knows, however, she, so she had Enoch pl pl put an implant in her brain to block her memory, and now that implant, whom she named Diana, is acting up. She is beginning to forget things she is supposed to know and remember things she is not. She says Diana is adorable and imperceptible or something when she called her adorable i was like what a lie again dialogue just on point right in the mystery location one of the goons comes in for susa and he attacks him with the piece of glass johnson gave him he unshackles himself and johnson and lifts her to try to get to safety then he notices things begin to shake and turns to see malik who explains that his bones are cracking the roof caves in and falls on malik colson explains sybil sorry colson asks sybil where johnson is and she explains that she's been abducted by malik who plans to steal her powers. Coulson asks Sybil what the chances are of Malik succeeding, and she replies by saying it's a probability of 22%. This in turn prompts Coulson to ask if there's a chance that Johnson will survive, and, Sybil's replies, and Sybil replies that there is an 86% chance she will live. The two of them get into a philosophical discussion over the difference between Chronicoms and humans, while Mackenzie wins the fight against the two Chronicom hunters. Shaw and Simmons fix the Zephyr, and Sousa makes his way past a knocked-out Malik with Johnson in his arms. The talk ends with Coulson explaining that dying is kind of his superpower. He then pulls himself out of the system and back to the Chronicom base. He tells May he has found the ship and then detonates the explosives he had from their previous mission, destroying the remaining Chronicoms and himself. Mackenzie defeats Abel and comes face to face with Luke as the lockdown protocol is disengaged. The two come to blows before Stoner saves Mackenzie by blasting Luke. Stoner thanks May for literally saving his skin and asks if she would be willing to go out for a drink sometime. They banter back and forth for a minute and then shake hands before May rejoins the team to escape the lighthouse. Yes, I also cut the near line for line banter. <laughs> On the Quinjet, May explains to Mackenzie and Rodriguez what happened to Coulson, but also says he will come back. Aboard the Zephyr, Simmons pressures Shaw to apologize to Enoch before telling him he cannot tell the others of her, the implant in her brain. It's a very grandma moment. It's very good. Mackenzie's father thanks May for saving them and places his hand on her shoulder. She immediately realizes something is wrong and pulls Mackenzie aside. She explains that she got no emotion from him and that they should check on check an injury he, has, he had sustained earlier. After some hesitation, Mackenzie urges his father to show them and learns that his parents are actually chronicoms. They attack the team and his not-father explains to Mackenzie that his real parents are dead. Back on the Zephyr, the team prepares for the next jump. Rodriguez comforts Mackenzie and Sousa watches over Johnson as she recovers. Simmons tells Sousa that this is his last chance and he cuts her off, telling her he is where he needs to be. The Zephyr jumps again. Uh, I originally had that. The Zephyr jumps again, 
and not have the end. And I was like, that's pretty funny, but I didn't leave it like that. So, so anyways, what did you think? About your uh, joke? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> no. I, no. What, so what, that was a lot. Yeah. It was a big episode. What stood out to you? Okay. A couple things. Um, again, dialogue in this great stuff. Um, mm. I think the fascinating like description of like of how the ship like in for like a better term like injury is right yeah because like mm -hmm. it's it's not fully destroyed or anything like that but like the idea is that like the explanation is that the effectively like the shielding around the ship is compromised so when they make yeah. the jump anything that is still shielded will make the jump the parts that right. are not will not and they will plummet from the sky so like the idea is that technically the ship itself will probably make it to the time and they will be okay right. but on the other side of that too like it could potentially cause them to crash after right or also on the flip side of that like depending on where they're at whatever gets left behind just falls free falls you mean like right. that, and that's also probably tech that's also way more advanced. Like, think of all that. Like, you know, what's the word for it? The 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 term for like when they go invisible, but it's like it's like the cloaking. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, there's like an actual term. I mean, the cloaking is like what we call it because of things like Star Trek. But they literally will say like, you know, so there are times where they'll be like, oh, turn on the stealth mode. I want to say that it's not retrograde, but it's like retro something because it's effectively mirroring things around them you know what I mean right um but anyway like it's it's that system like though light refractor yeah it's like light refraction essentially like all of that stuff would just fall and plummet to earth probably killing some bystander or whatever you know um right. so i think that was pretty an, uh, an interesting like scientific descriptor because it's like it's a yeah. little bit it makes me think of like ant-man right because it's mm -hmm. like this is why you have to be wearing the suit and specifically the helmet because right. like Whatever is not inside this doesn't survive that that process. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so like, I feel like that's the same thing as this, where it's like you have to have a perfect casing because the process will rip out or whatever or right. d you know d whatever the other bit. Yeah, it's sort of like a bubble. Mm -hmm. Correct. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, which is something that is an image that is used later in this season, mm -hmm. but it's the same thing they're talking right. about. So, yeah. Um. The other thing is, I you'll notice that I did change my name uh, in oh. Zoom, and it is because when you were talking about Luke talking with Sybil, I remembered something like a core memory from watching this scene, and that is that throughout time, his garb kind of changes as they like yeah. get more prepared for like a bigger fight, and also they keep getting their asses kicked. So like he starts to wear a little bit more armor each time we see him. <laughs> he looks a little bit like a poor man's like Sith Lord in this particular yeah. scene. But in like one of the things that is so fascinating about it was like how he has this like wrist brace like thing on that very clearly is uncomfortable, and he doesn't. <laughs> It's a little bit of Ricky Bobby. It's like, I don't know what to do with my hands, right? There is a part right. in a scene where they are talking, and you can see that he is like not really putting his hand just down by his side, but he's also not lifting it to talk with it or anything like that. So it's just kind of hovering in like the weirdest placement, like about two and a half inches away from his body. 
and it's the most unnatural looking yeah. pose. Yeah. And like, yeah. and th- but then when he starts to walk away, he's like, the other arm is moving kind of freely and that arm is just like slightly stiff. It's just kind of like that. You know, it's like, what is happening? Is that an, is that an injury from I don't before? think so. I think it's just, it looks like it's a piece of the armor because he also has like some extra shoulder padding like stuff on him now. Yeah. It just looks like it's that. I don't think it's an injury. Hmm. If there is an injury, I imagine he could have been fixed, right? Because presumably, are... but it's only been because also he doesn't. Oh, he didn't jump. He... Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, he's been there. The he's whole been, time. yeah, yeah. I've been here the whole time. How do we get Sam Reich on this show? So, uh, so I, I don't know. So there, so there's that, but it's, it's such a yeah. funny scene to me because she's also yeah. like trying to have this, like, she's very good at doing this thing where it's like, she smiles with only her mouth, which yeah. is again, like the, the concept that like, they're trying to at one point, like, like act human, like, like look normal, but like they can't. So like the way she has like a big smile on just her mouth, but her eyes are just so dead, just like thousand yards staring because she's not yeah. actually feeling emotion, you know, is, right. oh, it's unsettling, you know. Um, yeah. Also, uh, two other notes is that every time she looks at the time stream, it makes me think of like, you know, when kids would like play with string and make like cool cat's patterns. Cradle, yeah, cat's cradle. Yeah. That's exactly what, every time she does yeah. it, I always think I get transported back to being a child and just someone being like, check this out. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, yeah. look at all the string, you know. Uh, yeah. It's that. And then also we're looking at all the time streams. Exactly. You're weird. Yeah. And they're like, what does that mean? Um, I was like, listen, you won't get it, but your kids are going to love it. Um, you're not ready well, for listen it. Listen to our show. Uh, so, or you'll just listen to my show at, you know, 20 years after we graduate high school and you'll be like, what? No. Um, so I guess technically it's a two part thing, really this next thing, but it is interesting. The, the difference between the clip that we talked about two times ago, I believe now, where um, they are out and about in the city, you know, and uh, Sousa, oh no, I guess it was last time. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Last time. Yeah. Sousa was kind of like, I don't know. I think this is my last jump. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm not meant for this or whatever. I've been plucked from my time, all this other stuff. Right. And he's, again, he's kind of there with Daisy because he's upset about all these other things, but like he does not want to be around the people that are upsetting him at that time and right. in that moment she was the one that was least upsetting to him but right. was also leaving to be clear you know so he because <laughs> like that was the thing is a he wanted to get off the ship but like yeah. he also i feel like he knew that he couldn't be alone and so also again right. i don't think it's white knighting but it, again he's he right. is respecting the fact that okay well i want to get off the ship she's leaving but she needs backup so I'll use this as an excuse to like to to get me off the ship, right? <laughs> Gemma, are you sure you don't need to run out for any? I'd really prefer to be around a pasty British chick, but no. Oh, okay. Well, oh, she. Oh, but listen, he does not want to be around Gemma right now. Gemma and uh, and Mac, I think, are the people that are really driving yeah. him nuts in this moment, right? But like, he doesn't care about them. You know right. what I mean? But when. When Nathaniel starts doing his shtick, the way that he shifts, and I think it's like, again, there's they have that moment, and like he's now had a few interactions with 
with her. Yeah. So they're starting to build this connection and then seeing her hurt is like, I don't know. It's like, it's like weirdly upsetting to him. I mean, like you would be upset about seeing anyone hurt, I think, you know, but like, or he would as well. But like the way he comforts her when they bring her back in is so precious, you know? Uh, And like, and when I say like, you know, a classic, like nice guy kind of thing, I don't mean that thing of like, I'm a nice guy. No one ever gives me a chance. I don't mean that kind of nice guy. I mean, like, not like, Internet nice guy, but I mean actual like good dude, you know? Right. Um, well, he treats her like a um like a soldier in a way. Like a brother in arms. Yeah. Like a he treats her like a like a you know, they're in the same you know, she's a soldier too. Right. But like it like specifically it's like the way he like cradles her head carefully yeah. and like yeah. gets it propped up and kind of gives her a place to have some form of comfort in that moment. You know, but then right. also like just talks to her to sort of distract and all that other stuff. I mean, like, it's really nice. And like the way that basically in one episode. Yeah. Like really good character development to pull him from the, I think this has to be my last jump. I need to leave to him being like, I, I actually want to see them succeed. I want to see them moving on. And I don't know, maybe, he wants to keep checking in on Daisy. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. But he wants to check, you know? And so that's the nice thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I really like this episode. I really like these clips. It's good. I agree. I 100% agree. Heartbreaking for Mac, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I'll, I'll tell you, the I had forgotten about the reveal, too. Even yeah. though I've seen the show in its entirety before, I, I had remembered that they had to find his parents and that his parents don't make it. But like in my head, I was thinking like, okay, so something happens, like they're going to get the drop on them. They'll still make sure to take them out. Fully forgot that they had been turned. Well, you yeah. know, or they had been killed and then taken over or whatever. Right. So like that reveal is like so heavy. Cause like there feels like there's so much emotion. In right. some of those connections. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I uh, wanted to note that this is uh, a, 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 uh, the first of many patented uh, Coulson deaths. Um, he has died here. And, you know, it's the last season. So, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? Maybe this was... Maybe this, maybe this is it for Coulson. Um, How many episodes are left? Probably in the scene? it was. What's that? Uh, seven episodes left. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Season seven, seven episodes. Hmm, hmm interesting. To seven. seven. No, that's nothing. Hmm. T h i t i. You and I both did that math real quick to to realize it wasn't. But like, yeah. You and I both went. Wait, is it? no fuck. <laughs> I did. I do like how uh, basically Deke got put in timeout, and he had to go apologize to Enoch. Um, he said, "You're a valued member of the family." Enoch says, "That's the greatest compliment." You know, um, very lovely interaction where Gemma makes her two boys apologize to each other. <laughs> um, yep. And now you will apologize. Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. 
I do not um, need to apologize. <laughs> I did nothing wrong. He started. Exactly. And she's like, but you still need to say the thing. I do not understand human uh, you know, reactions, but okay. I can't hear you. La, 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 la. I can't hear you. La, la, la. I'm not touching you, Deke. I'm not touching you. <laughs> Nana. Um, let's see. I, the amazing I guess thing the is, thing- sorry, real quick. I will say about the Enoch not touching the best part is that most people would do like, so if my mic is my the person, you would do this. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. But Enoch would just be standing there and going, I'm not touching you. And then he's like, you have to be, and he's like, I'm stating a fact. You know, and you're like, okay. You know, like, all right. But would still drive you nuts just because he keeps saying it. You go, wait, no, stop Nana, it. Nana, he's not even pretending to touch me. It's like, what is the um, complaint here? You know? <laughs> I, I, I think the last thing. Tell him to stop. <laughs> He's not an, he's not, there's no emotion in his eyes, Nana. Um, I guess the last thing I want to talk about is I really, even though I know they're Chronicoms and whatever, I really like uh, Yo-Yo getting to talk to uh, Mac's mom and like hear stories. And then like, it's like, oh, the older one sounds very serious knowing that it's him. I just think it's, it's fun to, to see significant others learn kid stories. Mm-hmm. Like in Taylor Swift's, uh, 10 minute um all too well hmm. also the original version too hmm. but that turned out bad so and so did this so i guess okay. uh time yeah. for avengers ensemble yeah. <laughs> don't learn about your significant other childhoods because they'll turn out to be robots i guess is the takeaway it'll turn out to be just a lot of trauma exactly hey does your significant other remember anything about their childhood oh interesting <laughs> interesting hmm. Hmm. seems it seems too good to be true Avengers Ensemble. So this episode is season seven, episode six. Uh, it is called Adapt or Die. It aired on July 1st, 2020, which did happen to be Henry Simmons's 50th birthday. Hey, happy birthday, Henry. You get to see your parents die <laughs> or have already been dead. It was directed by April Winnie. That is April with two L's and Winnie with two N's. Uh, she also directed one episode of the Mysterious Benedict Society, three episodes of Roswell, New Mexico, which is a show we've previously talked about. It's not Roswell. It's Roswell, New Mexico. Someone from a previous episode was on that. Uh, she directed one episode of The 100 and three episodes of the 2019 Ghost Rider. Uh, this episode was written by DJ Doyle. Wicka, wicka, wicka. DJ Doyle, this is his third episode of 41 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that he wrote. We're going to wow. be talking about DJ Doyle. Quite a while. Yeah. Because nobody can do it like DJ Doyle can. Check it out. Um, The next person is. Check it out. Trauma. (laughs) (laughs) Generational trauma. We went while people you love are dead. Anyway. Drop the bass. Like, boop, 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 boop. Oh, your family's dead. Ow. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, exactly. Drop your mom out of fucking plane. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, the, the breakdown. Yeah, exactly. And um, then, like, everyone's like jumping like, oh, phone party. <laughs> thank you, DJ Doyle. <laughs> they, indeed. Hey, thank you, DJ Doyle. <laughs> also, uh, when DJ Doyle makes it to 10 episodes, we're going to put out our special edition Thank You, DJ Doyle t-shirt. 
It'll no, it, it needs to be nine episodes, I think, because what, what we'll do is we'll do again that classic grid pattern. That's like, thank yeah. you, DJ Doyle, not you, for doing this thing or for <laughs> writing this show. But like, we'll put the one of the first nine episodes, we'll put our least favorite in that center cube. Oh, to say cool. not you, which is weirdly aggressive right. towards DJ Doyle, but like, he'll he'll respect, I think, the friendly criticism for sure. Actually, how we're going to sell it is. We'll have uh, iron-on decals of each of the episodes represented and an empty grid, and then you can put on your own least favorite episode mm. in the Not You section. And you also have to put on the words yourself, too. But that- Right. And also, we're just going to send you a t-shirt and some uh, iron-on fabric, and then that's it. You cut it out yourself. Also, we should cut it out. We should. Hey, we should cut it out. Mm-hmm. So Agent King is played by a an actress named Shakira Barrera. Just just a great name. name. Uh, she is going to be in one episode of Ironheart. Ooh. Um, which is cool. Probably playing beloved MCU uh, canon Agent King, I would have to imagine. Listen, you say uh, that as a joke, but like, can you imagine when we're watching that show and they're like, Agent King, what can you tell us about your mind? Like, yeah. okay, I'm not trying to sound insulting here. It's going to be insulting in a way for a second, but it's just because it's, oh. it's for comedic effect. Your tiny, fragile little mind will just yeah. splinter into a thousand pieces when you go, oh my yeah. God, they did it. Oh my God, they did it. I'll just call, 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 enter, 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 enter. Yeah. And then I break my phone. And then you go, my um, brain. You use the <laughs> brain blown emoji. And then yeah. I log into the timesheet and it's all deleted. It just says, Agent King in all caps. Like, when like 20 cells have been merged and then that's it. And that's like your, and that's it. And that's the end of the show. Exactly. James goes off Thanks. the grid. Lives yeah. In a farm. Uh, the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm off the grid means I've stopped using. Excel. That's really funny. <laughs> uh, she was a voice in far cry six. She was on 18 okay. episodes of glow where she played a character named Yo-Yo. Oh, cool. Uh, and when I saw that, I it took me a couple of seconds for my tiny, fragile brain to figure <laughs> out what I was seeing. I was like, wait, she played Yo-Yo in this? Wait. So yeah. it was fun. Then I bounced back. Uh, the Ford Chronicom, which is the newest hybrid from Ford. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, seven, the 1977 <laughs> Ford Chronicom. It has parts in it that you don't know what they are yet because you're a stupid 1970s TV viewer. Anyways, back to Welcome Back, Connor. The the Chronicom that takes over Agent Ford is played by a guy named Nick Few. That is uh, Nick with no K and Few, like you're like, okay. Uh, he did voices in like Few. Yeah, I know, know like, I just, it was, it was such uh, a funny way of the, saying that. Was... The Few, the Proud, the Nick. Um <laughs> He was voices on both NBA 2K3 and NBA 2K0. So Interesting. Yeah. Once every three years, he comes back to do voices for an NBA game. Uh, he was in a, a short movie in 2016 with a title I wish I'd written <laughs> called Bathtub Gin, oh. but it's D-J-I-N-N. Interesting. Okay. And he plays the title character, the gin. Um, but Bathtub Gin is... Just a fantastic title. And then finally, Nick Few was Eddie Findlay in L.A. Noir. Yes, that's right. You said it was going to go away once we left the 50s, and yet here we are with people still being in that game, which maybe takes two 
realistic a take on L.A. Noir. The Stoner Chronicom, who we apparently see enough to have it be played by someone else, is a guy named David Flynn, who is in no other nerdy things that I saw. And that's it for Avengers Ensemble. Sick. Cool. Good. So, Colin, do you want to Still some throw this episode out of a plane oh, yeah, and right, into yeah, right. a river, perhaps? I don't know. Some form of, yeah, something. I don't know what's down there. <laughs> it's The Airstream? There is water, and there is also just technically stream. just a giant gaping hole in the middle of that uh, ocean or bay or whatever. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And you go, it's like throwing a chronicom down a missile tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so There was part of me that was like, he might not mean that. Nope. There's, yep. yep nope, oh, no, yep. That's, that is where I went. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode and to the ramblings of two wild men. Uh, we appreciate you a lot. James wanted to combat it, but I'm not going to let him. So thank you. I was going to say, and me. Oh, okay. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. Excelsior! <laughs> I was him getting sucked out of me.